All right, <clears throat> we'll have a, a, a little quiz. What'd you say? Who are I? Yes. Let's have a little quiz. It's just one question. Do I love or hate snow? All right, you guys kind of know me. I love snow in the summer. You know what you call snow in the summer? Rain. Okay. <laughs> That's true, I guess, sort of. Um, anyway, um, the last, I was in Jeff City yesterday, so I had to drive back. So Justice just called it like a beautiful thing outside. It was anything but beautiful. <laughs> yesterday, some of us were down there for a basketball tournament. Um, driving back was anything but beautiful. Last night, a normal hour and 45 minute drive was about two hours and 15 minutes, two hours and 30 minutes. So anyway, God was gracious and brought us all back safely. Praise the Lord. Um, but I am not a big fan of snow. So I appreciate you all uh, trekking out in the snow today. Uh, the roads were pretty good. My subdivision, my court was a mess, but um, uh, we are all able to make it here today to hear the word. And I'm privileged, honestly, um, to be here with you all, my brothers and sisters in Christ, to worship the Lord and hear the word this morning. Um, Diane is going to share in a moment. Uh, we like to take... Um, at least a couple times a year, I encouraged us last year that we were going to be kind of spreading out our pro-life messages throughout the year, which we did. And um, historically, the third Sunday in January is considered pro-life Sunday, and so churches are encouraged to do something for at least one Sunday. Uh, about a month ago, I shared with everybody that I'm going to be starting in First Thessalonians, I'm preaching through that verse by verse. And I didn't want to start uh, this week, and then next week is the Pro-Life Sunday, and then kind of just like start a series and then immediately have an interruption. So we're flipping it. So this week, we're doing our Pro-Life Sunday. Um, also, next month or the month after, we'll have another Pro-Life Sermon, and um, I'd like to inter- continue to interweave that uh, through our body throughout the year, because I think it's an important um, topic and subject really for our nation, our culture, and honestly, for the church at large. Turn with me. I want to make a few opening remarks before Diane comes up to Proverbs 31. It says this in verse 8, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. And then this is what it says in verse 9, Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Now, if you remember what Steve Sanders just exhorted us to, what was he saying about the underlining and the bolding and the highlighting like we do in our Bibles? What did he say about the Hebrew? Uh, How do they make something clear and stand out and basically bold and underlined and highlighted? Repetition, right? So here you see that. Verse 8, open your mouth for the mute. What does it say in verse 9? Open your mouth. Okay, so it's the Hebrew. God is highlighting, underlining, and bolding it for us to make sure we realize this is a very important thing to the Lord. So here's the thing, friends. Uh, We're a pro-life church, all right? And we preach a pro-life message. And really, we don't just preach it uh, once a year on the third Sunday or the second Sunday, and we don't just preach it a couple times. Really, that is interwoven. If you listen to our messages, there is a message of life, a message of spiritual life, but also a message of physical life. 
and we want to see that whatever God says is true, that that's what we believe. And whatever God says is true, that that's what we practice. And whatever God says is true, we receive that and put that into action in our own lives. So here's the thing. The atrocities of the day call for us to stand firm and resolute against them. All right, I'm going to say that again. The atrocities of the day call for us to stand firm and resolute against them. And this sin of abortion is an atrocity. It is clearly an atrocity. It breaks the heart of God. It should break the heart of God's people. And here's the thing. Wherever the culture goes against the word of God, we have to stand firm with God's word. we got to choose in all sorts of areas today. But wherever the culture goes against God's word, we stand firm. And the church stands up to the tidal wave of lies that the culture is trying to overwhelm us with. And there's a lot out there. We're under attack in the workplace. We're under attack uh, in the school system. Our kids are under attack even when they open up their phone. There's an attack going on. Messages are being sent to them. Messages are being sent to us every time we watch. Uh, uh, when you're watching your football game today, those commercials, they're sending a message. Even those announcers, you're giving them undivided attention for these announcers I mean, just listen carefully today. There's still a message going out. A message is going forth. So we need to make sure that we are discerning accurately what we're taking in and making sure we have a filter to understand it correctly and to discern truth from error. Friends, this is the filter, right? Right here is our filter. Here's the thing I like about all of us, about this church. We don't just teach this belief. We practice it. Okay, we practice it. Uh, David Snyder was a faithful witness and has been a faithful witness uh, standing against the atrocity of abortion over in Granite City. And because of his faithfulness, God used him to spare a baby's life. So sometimes I think we're like, oh, what, what difference can I make? Or what is it, you know, this, this giant thing that is literally just about in every nation, <clears throat> legally. But what, like, what, well, what can I do, Lord? And what, what is, I mean, thousands of abortions each day, millions each year. What, what can little old me do? Well, you can do something. You can make a difference. All right, David Snyder made a difference. So <clears throat> sometimes we can get overwhelmed with such a big problem that we're just like, oh, well, well whatever. But that is not how God has instructed us to act when we see a sin occurring in our midst. He wants us to deal with it. He wants us to address it. He wants us to stand up against it. Now, I know what some of you are thinking sometimes, potentially, when uh, we have this Pro-Life Sunday, you're like, oh, oh Pastor, you're, you're preaching to the choir. You're preaching to the choir. Well, I hope that's the case. I hope that's the case. That'd be great if that's the case. But here's the thing, friends. We have to be reminded of these things. We have to be reminded of them. If we aren't reminded, then we can forget and we can end up in a place that is not biblical. It's not God's word. We're no longer standing on the truth. Over and over again, I mean, I mean are there a, a billion things that the word of God talks about? Well, in one sense, yes, because it addresses everything. But if we wanted to boil it down to some key things, 
we, we can do that. And then what does the word do? It's continually reminding us of those things. That's why, honestly, one of the reasons it's good to get into the word on a daily basis is we just need to be reminded of those things. I mean, you're like, oh, man, I've read Galatians like five times. Well, read it for the sixth time. Because God's got stuff in there that he wants to remind you of. All right? So <clears throat> there's a reason when you, when you go to school, you have to go to school for so long. Because you've got to be reminded of all those things. You've got to learn those things, and you've got to keep learning and relearning. Same with elementary school, high school, college, and, and even if you make it past that. I mean, you're learning some stuff, but then you're learning and relearning and, and relearning and, and being reminded of those things. The same is true with God's Word. Friends, if we're not in His Word, being reminded of those things, we will forget. We will let things slide. And we'll end up in a place where God doesn't personally want us, and He doesn't want us as a church, and He doesn't want your family as a family. So we need to be reminded of these things. And then what we have to do is we have to stand with others that are in this fight. Listen, when it comes to this issue of pro-life, when it comes to this issue of abortion, every single person plays some role. They play some role. And the question, as Diane is sharing, um, and even as I'm sharing, is the question that I want you to ask you is, what's the role that I play? What is the role that I play? So I appreciate um, the privilege of us being a church that welcomes this truth into our midst. Um, sadly, some churches don't, but we're at a church, and there's other churches as well that will stand firm on this truth, will take heat for this truth. But you know what? Um, God's word is true, friends, and this is something we can, we can stand on. And people are like, oh, why, Pastor, why do, why do you got to talk about homosexuality? Why do you got to talk about abortion? Why do you got to talk? Listen, when, when the culture starts getting some of these things right, I can stop talking about it so much. I mean, seriously. I mean, they're always saying, well, why you got to talk about it? Well, we're only, in, in some sense, responding because this is where the culture is failing epically. So then what do we got to do? Well, we got to address it majorly. So <clears throat> when the culture is way off base, it is the church's job to stand for the truth on that issue. We're not going to take any heat if we're standing on some issue over here that the culture doesn't even care about and everyone's fine with, and you just, just look at what has happened with the tidal wave of, of gay marriage in the last five years, our kids are growing up in a culture where that's just going to be the normal for them. Isn't that sad? That wasn't the normal for me growing up. It wasn't the normal for many of you. So what do we do? We have to teach the truth about that subject. Wherever the culture is failing, we have to make sure that our kids... Each one of us as parents, each one of us as fathers, are instructing our children in the ways of righteousness. Parents, I hope you're doing that. I hope you're doing that. All right? I pray for each one of you, for wisdom, for discernment to do that. And then the church has to do that. We as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to encourage one another with these truths. We have to stand resolute as a church. I mean, that's why I'm encouraged to be here with you all. Because you're my brothers and sisters. And as I'm seeing you guys stand, and you guys figuring out what your role is in, in different things, I'm encouraged to stand as well. And I hope the same is true for you all. As you're looking around and seeing people make a difference, as you're seeing them stand for truth, you're encouraged to continue to do that. That's one of the reasons 
uh, the writer of Hebrews says, you know, let's, let's not stop meeting together. Let's encourage one another. Let's not forsake the meeting. Why? Because we've got a race to run. That's what he goes right into. We've got to stand firm. We've got a cloud of witnesses around us looking like, hey, what are we going to do? The cloud of witnesses of the, of the past, but also now a cloud of witnesses. And I'd say you can even break it into two groups, the cloud of unbelieving witnesses. Like, what, is, what, do, what do our unbelieving friends and family, what do they see from us? And then the cloud of witnesses of other believers, what witness are we setting for them? Y'all hearing me? So let's, let's receive this word for each one of us. And let's receive what Diane is about to share with us. And let's keep before us the question, what is my role in this fight for life? Let's have Diane come up. Please give her a warm welcome. Can you all hear me? Okay. So... Um, I was just saying I needed to get organized a second. It's been about a year that, I, that I've been up here. Last time I was up here was when uh, David retired. And, wow, what a year it has been. A um, lot of changes in our life. Um, good changes. Hard changes. Um, you probably have noticed you haven't seen much of my husband. Um, that's been intentional. And I have probably missed more church in the past year than I have my entire uh, life as a pastor's wife. So, and that also has been somewhat intentional as well. Um, we uh, now, though, it's it's we're at about the year mark, and you will be seeing more of us. Um, so, um, thanks. Um, gosh, I have I have totally overprepared. I'm sure of it. I'm certain of it. And for those, most of you know me, but for those who don't know me, my name is Diane. Um, my husband, Pastor Liberty, for about, I don't know, 20-something years. Um, and um, I am so grateful that this church is a pro-life church. So very grateful. And so very grateful that uh, Mike and Justice and Greg deem it so important that they would continue to have me come share uh, today. Um, so we are a week ahead of schedule, so next Sunday is actually the National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, um, but we're, we're doing it a week early, and like I said, I've, I've totally over-prepared, so I have a lot to cover in a very short time, so please bear with me. You got my PowerPoint up there. Awesome, Mike. Thanks. Um, gosh, I love this scripture. Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I formed you in the womb... I knew you. Before you were born, I dedicated you. A prophet to the nation, I appointed you. Um, here in the scripture, the Lord is obviously talking to Jeremiah. But before you were born, and when you were in the womb, God knew you. So I love this scripture, but I also love this image. Look at the image. Pregnant belly, a see-through belly. And it reminds, it reminds me of how often when I was pregnant with my first child, Hannah, how often I would think, 
God, how awesome would it have been if just during the, the period of pregnancy, you would cause our skin to be translucent, where you could see through into the womb, kind of like a snow globe. And I love snow globes. But in one sense, the Lord has allowed us to see into the womb, and that is with the amazing technology of ultrasound. Uh, today I represent um, Thrive St. Louis. I am regional manager. Ten years ago, I did start as a volunteer uh, nurse stenographer, and it was this church who raised support for me to go to sonography training. So I'm so grateful. So I didn't count up how many ultrasounds I have done in the past 10 years, but this church has been responsible for that. For every life that was saved because that mom saw her baby and that mom saw that baby's heartbeat and chose life, this church is responsible for that. So I'm grateful to have another opportunity to public. Please speak um, on the most important human rights violation of our time. And it is indeed the most important human rights violation of our time. A lot of different issues out there, a lot of different causes. But this issue, the issue of life, is the most important human rights violation of our time. So what could it look like if... And I know this church has really done so much already to provide ultrasounds and to um, even help mentor, help um, moms and dads learn about parenthood. I know that, that this has already been happening. So here is my question. What could it look like if more... Ultrasounds were provided, more dads were mentored, more unplanned pregnant moms were free from living a secret, more new parents were mentored, more unplanned pregnant moms felt supported, and more unplanned pregnant moms came to know Jesus. In January of 1988, President Ronald Reagan, he was the 40th president of the U.S., he declared a proclamation. You might be familiar with it, but the proclamation was in regards to the sanctity of human life, and he placed that in January of that year. It's quite a proclamation, and so we're going to have a little history here because I, I do want to read a little bit from it. Um, in this proclamation, he talks of two gifts. The first gift being that every human being possesses certain unalienable rights. Do you know what that means? That means those rights cannot be taken from you. Cannot be taken from you. The second gift being the example of our determination to, to secure those rights and to defend them against every challenge through the generations. He writes, and this is in the second paragraph, one of those unalienable rights 
as the Declaration of Independence affirms so eloquently, is the right to life. In the 15 years since the Supreme Court's decision, so it's 1988, he made this proclamation, 1973 was when it became legal for a woman to obtain abortion in America. So in the 15 years since the Supreme Court's decision in Roe v. Wade, however, America's unborn had been denied their right to life. Among the tragic and unspeakable results in the past decade and a half had been the loss of 22 million infants before birth, the pressure and anguish of countless women and girls who were driven to abortion, and a cheapening of our respect for the human person and the sanctity of human life. 22 million. That was in 1988. Can I tell you how, how many abortions we've seen in America since then? Since 1973? Past 1988? On top of 22 million? It's over now. Over. Anyone want to take a guess? Anybody know? Over 60 million. Over 60 million. So that's quite astounding. Um, it's a scientific fact and undeniable that preborn children are human persons. I want to read a little bit more of the proclamation. All medical and scientific evidence increasingly affirms that children before birth share all the basic attributes of human personality, that they, in fact, are persons. Modern medicine treats unborn children as patients. Yet, as the Supreme Court itself has noted, the decision in Roe v. Wade rested upon an earlier state of medical technology. The law of the land in 1988 should recognize all of the medical evidence. President Reagan also said in this proclamation, he says this, that... Therefore, I, Ronald Reagan, President of the U.S. of America, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Constitution and laws of the United States, do hereby proclaim and declare the unalienable personhood of every American from the moment of conception until natural death. Upon this act, sincerely believed to be an act of justice, warranted by the Constitution, I invoke the considerate judgment of mankind and the gracious favor of Almighty God. I also proclaim Sunday, January 17th of 1988 as a National Sanctity of Human Life Day. I call upon the citizens of this blessed land to gather on that day in their homes and places of worship to give thanks for the gift of life they enjoy and to reaffirm their commitment to the dignity of every human being and the sanctity of every human life. Pretty amazing that he did that in 1988. I don't know if you have ever read any of that before, um, but look it up online. Read the entire proclamation. Uh, it was very bold of him. 
but it was very right of him. All right, slide eight. So it's been 32 years since that proclamation. 32 years since 1988, when 22 million lives were lost at that time. And now we see 48 years later, since Roe v. Wade, that we have over 60 million, almost 61 million abortions since then. When I think about... um, I apologize if I seem a little disjointed. I have a a lot here, and I'm trying to cut out some. So, um, but it's been um, amazing to me that for ten years, God has planted me in a place where we're trying to see that number go down, and. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm so blessed because I know Thrive is a ministry that is taking the gravity of this Holocaust and the gravity of that big number serious. Um, I'm also astounded that, like most churches, where you have labors that are very few, um, Thrive, we, we experience the same issue. Uh, the labors are just few. And so, um, in the past 10 years, I'm always, and, I, and I've gone from volunteer nurse stenographer, I was hired on a couple years after as their first nurse manager. Um, our medical team grew a little bit. Um, I became senior, senior nurse manager. I was still part-time, very still involved with, with church ministry and church life. Um, and then I was asked to be full-time regional manager And um, the Lord opened that door. I stepped into it. Um, But ever ever since then, um, I have battled, you know, um, the fact that we're always short-staffed. We have way more patients that come into our centers than we can handle. Um, And somehow, year after year, the Lord just keeps giving me grace. And, and just, like, just like, you know, pastoral staff and church staff, um, it, 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 you can easily get discouraged. But, but when the Lord has called you to a, a, a certain place or a certain position, um, God, he just lavishes on the grace. And, and you keep going. You just keep going. So Thrive, you know, it's an amazing organization, and it does offer answers to that question, what could it look like if, clause. And um, you you guys know what we do at Thrive, but just, you know, to quickly remind you, all of our service to, services to women are at no cost to them. They are all free. One of the reasons we probably have a hard time getting nurses to come on our staff is because you are considered a medical missionary. You know, when missionaries go out in the middle, missionary field, they're not making the big bucks. We don't rake them in, okay? But, but it's more of so much more of a calling. And you make a lot of sacrifices. Sacrifices. So... Um, and then we're not, you know, it's not a, uh, 
we are a non-for-profit, so we're not making any income. Um, so all of those services that you see are free. Free ultrasounds, free pregnancy tests, free physician referral, free parenting classes, free um, adoption referral, um, we, free abortion support. <sighs> yes, lo- a lot of different services, but again, um, we don't quite, you know, have the, ma- the manpower to offer the more that we could. I want to go ahead and just let you um, see a few of the um, stats uh, that, that um, in the past year that Thrive has, there we go, that Thrive has seen. So every year we kind of do a report card. We look at our, our past year. We kind of see, we do keep stats on um, different things. And... Um, Thrive began in 1983. So since then, we've seen almost 29,000 lives saved. Those are women who have chose life for their baby. Um, And then just in the past year, so our fiscal year, this past fiscal year, we have seen almost 1,700 um, children rescued from abortion. And these were coming from women who came to our center and who were abortion determined. They came saying, I want an abortion. So then after using our services, they changed their mind and they chose to parent or they chose to place their baby for adoption. Um, we saw a little over 100 women come to Christ or, or rededicate their life. And um, you can see we have a lot of volunteer hours because we do use volunteers. But, of course, um, working with volunteers, we are a medical provider. And working with volunteers, sometimes they just don't take it as serious as if you were hired on. So sometimes we'll get, you know, we'll, we'll create our schedule where we know we have, you know, a couple different volunteers coming. They might be volunteer nurses. But then it's a gorgeous summer day, and they say, you know, I, I can't come in today. So then we have just two nurses to take care of, you know, so many patients. Um, and that's always kind of a bummer. So we don't try, we, we try not to really lean on our volunteers. Um, it'd be nice if we could, but we've, you know, had quite a number of volunteer hours. You can see what we spent, you can see what we raised. Um, and, uh, we have kind of formulized, like if we charged, if we charged women for these services, um, to save a life, that cost would be Almost $1,300. You know, that includes um, so many of these, these medical tests, procedures, referrals, the time, the labor of the medical personnel, all of those things. So if someone wanted to donate um, $1,294, that's what we have kind of formulated. That would save a life. So um, that's up there, too. And we have seen that that number actually has gone down. The, from the, the time we first started formulating that, it was a little over 1,500. So now that has definitely gone down. Um, you can go to the next slide. Um, as I mentioned, I came on board at, in 2009 as a volunteer. And that is also the year that Bridget came on board. 
Um, she is the current president of Thrive, Bridget Van Means. We were two very different women, but we both had life-affirming hearts. Bridget's mom, um, who was Caucasian, uh, got pregnant out of wedlock to an African-American, which at the time was, you know, kind of not, uh, not accepted very well, okay? And then my mom, my mom was in a coma for about three years when I was in grade school, and the cultural voices would have said, you know, end her life, no food, no water. But her life was in God's hands for the taking and not anyone else's. So just as Bridget's, Bridget's life had intrinsic value and dignity, so did my mom's. Bridget's life as a baby and my mother's life were both in jeopardy. So who could want life more? Bridget, for her own life as a baby, and a child, who was me, for my mom's life. I, I find it to be just like God to bring these two women, myself and Bridget, together to fight for such time as this. So in 2009, we see in the state of Missouri, there were almost 7,000 abortions occurring. Fast forward to 2018, and we have this, this, we see now under 2,500 abortions in Missouri. So, so how did this happen? You know how this happened? This happened because people got involved in the pro-life issue. This happened because God grew Thrive. God grew people to be, to stand on the outside of abortion clinics, like David Snyder. God called people to pray. God called people to give. And that's how this happened. Now, this is in Missouri. Now, we do know that women do head over to Illinois for abortion. We do know that women head over to Kansas for abortion as well. But in our state, the state of Missouri, we have knocked down that number. God has knocked down that number to under 2,500 abortions per year. Um, also through, um, this has also happened through God-fearing uh, congressmen and women. So it, it takes a whole a bunch of us to see this kind of difference. And I, I, when I look at this slide, and I just, I just, I look at the numbers. I'm, I'm so grateful and I'm so humbled that, that I've been a part of that and I can say that I have been a part of that. You have been a part of that. And it's, it's, it's not being Prideful. It's not being boastful. It is seeing the fruit of your labor. It is seeing when God calls you to do something and you invest and you're doing it with all your heart, mind, and soul. You know, God is so good to eventually allow us to see fruit. So, um, pretty amazing. And thank you so much for all that you have done. We're calling this the Missouri Miracle because... When you knock those numbers down, it cannot but hurt the only standing last abortion clinic in Missouri. And that is Planned Parenthood. 
So um, in October, this past October 2019, we saw this. We saw, this is the Forest Park Parkway um, Planned Parenthood Clinic. We saw this. This center does not currently offer abortion services. This clinic does not offer abortion services. That, that is what we've been working for. That is what, you know, I... Uh, I look at myself in the mirror, and I see every year, I'm just like, wow, Diane, you're looking, you're looking your age. You're looking older than your age. And, and because I've been involved in this fight, I know it's taken a toll, but this was worth it. This is worth it. Now, I don't know. Um, it's been a little interesting because... We think they might have, they, they might be doing abortions every now and then, okay? But they are not doing them as much as they were. And then many of you know that because Missouri has been so hit, um, with abortions going down, and we have great lawmakers and we have some great, uh, laws that, that have happened this past year, um, Planned Parenthood stealthily decided to build a new clinic in Fairview Heights, Illinois. So um, they did it underground, and I'm sure you've probably heard of it. Nobody knew it was up and coming. But um, shortly before the opening day, people got wind of this. And um, so October, uh, when we found out about Planned Parenthood on Forest Park Parkway not offering services. We were actually, all four of our mobile units were over on opening day at the Fairview Heights Planned Parenthood to let them know we're still going to be here for these women. You might have tried to sneak over here, but we're still going to be here for these women. We're still going to be here to offer an alternative for these women. It was pretty interesting. Um, just, you know, that they, they thought, I don't know if they thought we would follow them over there, but, but we did. We did. So, um, so the Missouri miracle is that the last standing abortion clinic is probably not doing abortions. Maybe some, but not like it was. And in it, you know, this was from October. So, um, it's, we'll see what happens there. Okay, you can go to the next slide. Um, so what happened to my mom was definitely a part of uh, God's plan in my life to redeem such a loss. Um, and the picture on the left, this is Bridget when she was a baby. This is her mom, Caucasian female mom. And this is my mom, and she was pregnant with me in that picture. And I, and I really wanted to um, put them up there on the slide because um, I just want to honor them. And I'm not sure Bridget or myself would be doing what we're doing without the pain and hardship that they endured. You know, God takes ashes and he makes them beautiful. And we experience loss in our life. So many different kinds of loss in our life. And um, obviously, original sin has a part to play in that. But God allows loss to happen in our life. But he can always redeem it. 
And so one of the ways I feel like he's redeemed, you know, my, my loss of a mom and, and um, uh, is, is, is then calling me to get involved in this issue and then seeing what God can do when, when you know, someone decides to um, be at peace and, and, and accept the loss and, and then say, God, you know, here I am. How can you use me? What can I do? Um, and, and get you out of kind of being stuck in that place where, where you're, you're just in feeling sorry for yourself or you're just stuck. You're stuck in, in the loss and all the things that come with that, whether it's depression or just um, being so hurt and being angry at God. I mean, you, you can stay in that place. It's a bad place, and, and Satan will just continue to pile on when you're in that place. But God wants to redeem it, and God wants you to move here, where then you can stand up and say that in 2009, there was almost 7,000 abortions occurring in, in Missouri, and now in 2019, there's over 2,500 abortions occurring in Missouri. That's pretty significant to me, and that is pretty cool. Um, Pretty cool. Okay, where are we at? All right. So, um, so much work still to, to be done in the pro-life movement. Uh, we still have 2,500 lives to save, and we still have to catch those women going to Illinois or going to Kansas. So there are a lot of challenges that are coming against us, and a lot of those challenges that um, uh, Ronald Reagan said in that second uh, gift, that second gift where he said, you know, we, we need to, to defend life. We need to come against those challenges that are coming against life. So I decided to kind of take a look at those challenges, um, that I feel like are definitely attacking our right to life. Obviously there's Planned Parenthood, we have celebrity voices, godless politicians, mainstream media, godless academy, and churches who are denying the infallible, authoritative word of God. So really quickly, I'm just going to take a look a little bit at each one of those. So Planned Parenthood, um, most of you might know that it's the largest abortion provider in the United States, and about 40% of all abortions occur at their clinics. Um, last year, they performed three, almost um, 35,000 abortions. I mean, 350 abortions. 350,000, excuse me, abortions. And that was up from the year before. That was the highest number that's been reported since they've been keeping track. And, of course, abortion is their core mission. Um, they're not a health center in the sense that um, they do not provide prenatal care. If, if, you, if you go to Planned Parenthood, you say you want to parent your child and you're pregnant, they will not do an ultrasound for you. Um, the last president, her name was um, Dr. Wen, and she is no longer the president. She didn't even make it a whole year. But um, she stated in a tweet that their core mission was providing, Planned Parenthood's core mission was providing 
protecting and expanding access to abortion and reproductive health care. We will never back down from that fight. It's a fundamental human right, and women's lives are at stake. She continued. She said that there's been more than 400 abortion restrictions including, included in, in the state since 2011. Serving our patients must include fighting those restrictions in legislatures and at the ballot box. Uh, so, um, Dr. Wen, I mean, she made it very clear that Planned Parenthood has, it's simple. They have a very clear main mission, and that is to provide abortion services. Planned Parenthood, in one of their tweets, this is what they, they shared. Abortion is moral. It is important, and it is health care. This is their narrative. Their narrative is so crafty, and this narrative is sinking into young women's lives. Sounds really good. Abortion is moral. Abortion is health care. It's important. It's getting fed into the minds of our young women. Um, and And... You know, little by little, any biblical moral foundation they have, if they're not, if they're not being told the truth, it begins to, to chip away at that biblical foundation that, or, or moral truth they might have had. And so then they begin to believe, maybe it, maybe it is okay with God. Maybe he does understand this is too hard for me. Maybe it is health care. Healthcare. Healthcare is supposed to help save life. Healthcare is supposed to make people healthy, not destroy, not kill, not murder. It's not healthcare. So, um, Planned Parenthood is a challenge that we, we realize, we need to realize, um, what their agenda is, and we need to realize that they are against that unalienable right that we have to life. All right, let's look at the next um, challenge. That would be celebrity voices. Oh, gosh, lots of godless celebrities, and some of these celebrities I just love. I love them. Michelle Williams, did you all hear what she, she said at the, uh, at the Golden Globes? Um, she stood up there with her Golden Globe... Her trophy that she won, she played in The Greatest Showman. I don't know if you saw The Greatest Showman. I loved that movie. Okay. But um, she said this, and then Planned Parenthood actually tweeted what she said. But she stood up there, and she said, I've tried my very best to live a, live a life of my own making, and I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose. So women, 18 to 118, when it's time to vote, please do so in your own self-interest. She traded the life of her baby for some stupid trophy. And she declared that in front of millions of people. Big challenge. Reese Witherspoon, um, another little celebrity that I love, um, she says this, I'm beyond upset about the passing of new abortion bans in Alabama, Kentucky, M- Mississippi, Georgia, and Ohio. This is unconstitutional and abhorrent. We cannot tolerate this attack on women's fundamental rights. 
And of course, here's Miley. We all know Miley. And this little cake says abortion is health care. And it looks like she's really enjoying it. It's cake. It's sweet. It's good. Um, the image, the, the narrative, the words, um, all challenging our right to life. Then we have God's politicians, and there are many of those. Um, I'll just uh, read a few of these quotes. One Minnesota congressman said this, that religious fundamentalists are currently trying to manipulate the state laws in order to impose their beliefs on an entire society, all with complete disregard for voices and the rights of American women. Romans 13, 3 and 4, it says this about our civil magistrates. It says that rulers are not a cause for fear, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. It is a minister of God to you for your good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Our civil magistrates, our politicians, they're supposed to be putting away evil and punishing evildoers. And yet now we see... So many politicians, they are rallying the cause for evil. And they're um, saying that what is evil is really good. And what is bitter is really sweet. And so you saw that, um, the quote from that Minnesota congressman. This past year, do you remember what they tried to pass um, in the... the um, they, pa- they tried to pass the, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. This would provide medical care for babies who were born um, from a, uh, a failed abortion. The Senate of our country blocked that bill. They blocked it. This was all over the news. Um, the Virginia governor, where he said... He was posed a question about what would happen if uh, there was a failed abortion and that baby was there um, alive. What, what is the right response? And the Virginia, Virginia governor said that the infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother a Washington senator said, uh, described the bill, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act bill, as clearly anti-doctor, anti-woman, and anti-family, and it has no place becoming law. It is so hard to believe that they don't regard the sanctity of human life. And it seems that women's rights, to them, women's rights, and even what a doctor may say, and even what a woman and a doctor may decide together, that that is more important than a human life who was born from a failed abortion gasping for life. She has redeemed her story. Look how God has used her. Look where God has called her. She was addressing... uh, Gibraltar, 
I don't even know if I said that name right, Gibraltar. Um, it's a British over, uh, overseas territory. And she was, she was encouraging them in their laws that they were looking to pass, not pass. She was encouraging them, encouraging them to fight for life. So um, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which did not go through, after it didn't pass, our president said this about that. This will be remembered as one of the most shocking votes in the history of Congress. If there is one thing we should all agree on, it's protecting the lives of innocent babies. Okay. All right. Real quickly. Godless media. Is the media godless? You better believe it. You better believe it. Um, do they challenge our right to life? You better believe it. Um, a blog writer, Brian Klaus, uh, he wrote for the Human Life International, and he said this in May of 2019 in his blog, which he entitled, Is the Mainstream Media Really Biased on Abortion? He said this, that although the media takes a liberal stand on all of the social issues, its corruption is the most evident on the issue of abortion. As NARAL's Susan Millsap said, the media has been our best friend in this fight. Let me repeat that. The media has been our best friend in this fight. They claim objectivity, but I know they're all pro-choice. NARAL is the National Abortion Rights Action League. And Susan, Suzanne, she just laid it out for us. Then Mark Lamont Hill with the Huffington Post, he said this, For what it's worth, I do think that those of us on the left have made a decision not to cover this trial. And that he was speaking of the Gosnell trial. Because we worry that it'll compromise abortion rights. Did you know that at least 600 women have died at the hands of incompetent abortions? Do we hear about this? But the media will trumpet the deaths that occurred before Roe v. Wade, right? But they are silent on the women who die because of an abortion. After all, when women die of illegal abortions, the media can use that as propaganda tools. But if they die of legal abortions, reporting on those deaths, well, what, what an impact could that have? Well, it could hurt the abortion industry. Then, did you, ever, did you know this, that there are um, frequent murders of women who refuse abortion? They're being coerced by parents or by boyfriends, and they are refusing to have the abortions, and they get murdered for it. Do you ever hear that, those stories? They're out there. More than 400 pregnant women have been shot, beaten to death, tortured, and even buried alive by their husbands or boyfriends because they refuse to abort. But no, media will not cover those. They're omitted. 
Then, when you have abortionists commit murder, well, the media will cover that, but helps to cover for them. For example, one abortionist, he was a prolific abortionist uh, in Oklahoma City, John Baxter Hamilton, he crushed his wife's skull with a blunt object. Then he left and he went right to his abortion mill and aborted babies, just like another day at the office. The national media outlets refuse to identify this man as an abortionist. They refer to him as a local obstetrician. And then there have been a number of abortions that have been convicted of murder. And, of course, the most, I guess, recent one was Kermit Gosnell. Um, But the media just does not connect the dots, and it is intentional in doing so. I talked a little bit bit last year about Gosnell. Um, Boy, that was a perfect storm for the mainstream media to get involved, but they didn't. And, in fact... Um, you might have heard more about this story, that an uh, NBA player, Jason Collins, when he announced that he was a homosexual, you know how many stories the media did about that? Almost 2,400. 2,400 news stories on an NBA player announcing he was homosexual. You know how many stories they did on Gosnell and the Gosnell trial? 115. And that was after so much pressure, so much pressure. So what is the media? What are the media's sources? Well, they're that group of people and the organizations which transmit ideas and information to a large number of people, like us. Um, Channels of media include internet, books, magazines, newspapers, movies, recordings, radio, television, and artwork. So why do you think the media... deliberately suppresses, misrepresents, and lies about the pro-life message because they, they, they have an agenda. They want to mold history instead of documenting it. And so they twist, they twist it to suit political and social objectives. Um, one reporter for the Boston Globe, Ethan Bronner, said, he said, I think that when abortion opponents complain about a bias in newsrooms against their cause. They're absolutely right. Opposing abortion in the eyes of most journalists is not a legitimate, civilized position in our society. Wow. All right. We have two more to go through. I'm going to fly through this, and I apologize. I'm going late. If you need to go, just that's fine. Um, but we need to be aware of these challenges that are that have and are taking away our right to life and our future generation's right to life. Um, So let's look at the Godless Academy. In 2018, a columnist for America, uh, America, the the Jesuit Review, he wrote an article entitled, Can a Pro-Life Scholar Survive in Academia? In the article, he shares his story about a lecture that he gave known as Against an Alleged Right to Choose Abortion. And this was in February of 2017. 
after his lecture, the students who heard it, you know, they, they seemed okay with it. But somehow, it got out there, and a media firestorm erupted. And they denounced the lecture as misogynist, extremist, and unpatriotic. This was in Belgium, and abortion was legal in Belgium. Mr. Mercier's, the, the lecturer, um, his, hope to find his hope to find defenders in the university, and even in the Belgian church, faded very quickly. And so he wrote this first bullet point. Once upon a time, academic freedom was a sacred professional privilege. It protected the right of university professors to, to discuss controversial matters within their field of expertise in the classroom and in print without fear of retribution. No longer, especially if you are a scholar, unmasking the culture of death. And then you have several, several medical groups. Um, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the American Medical Women's Society, the American Public Health Association, um, they all, all of those um, elite medical entities, um, they all oppo oppose the Born Alive Abortion Survivors uh, Protection Act. And they said in recent letters to senators that it represents a dangerous government Intrusion, intrusion into private health care decisions. Mr. Marcier, that university professor is not alone. Um, his lecture, the university said this about his lecture, that it was in contradiction with the values supported by the university, university, and he was suspended. And he is not alone. This is happening more and more. So not only are pro-life professors being thrown out, then the students are continue, continuing to be indoctrinated with godless academics. And then, of course, you have these um, best practice medical entities also challenging the right to life, were they supporting um, or not supporting um, godly legislation, le le excuse me, legislation, or they are um, opposing, opposing it, um, or are there for godless legislation. So last um, challenge would be um, to take a look at the church, and yes, there is godless clergy out there. Um, sadly, a lot of churches and a lot of pastors remain silent on this topic. Um, fortunately, we are not one of those, and we're not included in that group. There are a lot of churches that do uh, discuss and, and talk about the issue of life, but um, many do not. And so um, I just had a few of these quotes from different pastors or clergy, and I, I just, this godless, godlessness has invaded our sacred houses of worship. And, and they are, again, just shaping or unshaping minds. One Methodist pastor said this, it's not enough to say that abortion is not violent. Abortion is a positive decision and not a lesser evil. 
Abortion is, therefore, pro-family and pro-life. A pastor said that. Um, Then another reverend said this, and he actually went to an abortion clinic and prayed this prayer. Bless this building and those who work there who provide safe, legal, caring, and loving reproductive services, including abortion. They are doing God's work. And then last, this last reverend, um, she said this, Clearly giving a woman the right to abortion is a compassionate stand, and any time compassion rules over judgment, we see the kingdom of God. Aren't these quotes astounding? I'm, I'm sorry, I, they're so good. We need to hear that this is what's out there. This is what people are saying. And it's, it's so hard to, to, to get it wrapped around your brain that they can say things like this. So, in closing, how determined are you to secure the right to life and to continue to defend the right to life against every challenge all those challenges we just covered for future generations. And here is the question that I want you to take with you. What will be your more? What will your more look like? I know you're doing things, but we need to do more. So what will that look like? Because there's still so much more to do. Um, I do have... um, And just on behalf of of Thrive, Bridget, and um, the board of Thrive, we just really want to thank Liberty. We know you have done a lot for Thrive over the years. Um, We've had so many. We've had numerous volunteers. um, We've had numerous givers. And and so they just really want to express their their thanks for that. And uh, many of you have given, you know, even monetarily. one of the things that we're asking, and we've done this before, is that they're offering another baby bottle campaign, um, and someone is doubling it. It's a double match. So if you fill a baby bottle with change and it goes back to Thrive, someone's matching whatever you give. So if there are $20 worth of change, it's going to be $40. So I did bring baby bottles in case any of you would like to go ahead and, and participate in that. It may seem kind of little, but those baby bottles add up and really, really help in so many ways. Um, I will get them back from Liberty at the end of February, so you have some time to um, to go ahead and, and fill those up. Um, I also want to encourage you just to think about all those different areas of challenge and to pray for them, to pray for those godless clergy and, and godless churches and to pray for the godless politicians and to, to pray for the, the godless celebrities, um, to pray for the abortion providers like Planned Parenthood. Um, we need to be praying for them. Uh, they are they're human beings created in the image of God. And so they also have intrinsic value, such as you and I. So we need to remember to keep them in our prayers. Many of them have walked out of Planned Parenthood and become... Um, now workers of life, such as Abby Johnson and many others. But um, please do pray with, pray for them as well. So, Justice or Mike, if you would like to close in prayer, I thank you for your time. Thank you for just um, enduring a lot that I covered. Like I told you, I over-prepared, but it, 
it is good, good stuff. Forgive the deliverer. I'm, I'm not as eloquent as my husband, obviously. Um, maybe you'll get to hear him again sometime. Maybe he should do the next year's pro-life service. So, um, so anyways, Mike, if you want to just go ahead and close. Yep. And we're going to pray for you too, Diane. We appreciate all that you do for the pro-life cause. It is awesome. Let's pray. Lord, we want to uh, thank you, God, for what you're doing um, in Missouri. We want to thank you what you're doing through Thrive and other pro-life organizations. We thank you um, that people are standing for life. I pray special protection on Bridget, on Diane, on all the workers and laborers and volunteers at Thrive and other pro-life organizations in Missouri, that you would protect them, that your hand of protection would be upon them, God, that you would shield them uh, from the fiery darts of the enemy who wants to discourage them, that Satan wants to get in there and mess things up, Lord. I thank you, for, Lord, that you've been doing this work in Missouri, that you've been um, saving babies, Lord. I pray all those babies saved, God, would uh, come to know you, would come to know you, the one true God. And I pray that our church would be a church that continues to stand for life, that supports it financially with our prayers, with our actions. I pray we take to heart today um, and rejoice at the work you're doing. Um, Mourn, Lord, where we need to at the loss of life and where our culture is and seek to make a difference um, for your glory in these things, God. We pray you'd go before us even now and continue to pave the way uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.